Hello from Houston. Welcome to the Highlights Podcast, brought to you by the Houston Young Lawyers Association. Our goal is to learn, lead, network, and serve. And welcome back to the Highlights Podcast. My name is Femi, and I'm a transactional attorney here in Houston. And my name is Patrick. I'm an arbitration lawyer also here in Houston. So uh, we're continuing this series in which we uh, speak to uh, legal graduates here in Texas. Uh, We've spoken to two Houston grads, and uh, now we want to speak to people who are are based in Austin. Uh, We, Patrick and I, we both graduated from UT and uh, true. you know we know a lot of people who have recently graduated. And so we just wanted to reach out to them simply because everybody's had their own experience with this current 2020 bar exam here in Texas or otherwise. Um, so right now we are speaking with a mutual friend of ours, Michaela McIntyre, a recent graduate of the University of Texas School of Law. How are you, Michaela? Hi, I'm doing well. Awesome. So um, I've already said that uh, you went to UT Law. Are you from Austin? Yeah, I was, I was born and raised here. Awesome. Um, one, of, one of a few people, I think, who's an original Austinite. Um, a very rare breed. That is true. There are a lot of sort of implants. I mean, that's um, similar to Houston in that regard. Maybe not. Anyways. No, I mean, Houston, Houston has four million people. So, yeah. um, so, Michaela, as of January 2020, what were your plans for taking the bar? Were you planning on simply taking it at, you know, in, in Austin? And uh, what were your plans in terms of a career? Um, so as of January, um, my my original plan was to take the bar exam in New Mexico and get licensed in New Mexico and also transfer my score to Texas, um, under the UBE. And, uh, because the firm I was originally planning on working at, um, actually had an office in New Mexico. So I kind of thought it just made sense to be licensed in both States if I was going to go there anyway. Um, so that was my plan. Things have changed, but that was my original plan. Right. And so was that, was that the, primary goal or did you also find the UBE more enticing like maybe an easier bar exam or you know better format or I guess more transferability yeah I think I mean a a lot of uh, I think the administration at the law school really puts the UBE as not only um you know not I won't say easier because I don't think the bar exam is you know really easy in any format um but an exam that doesn't re- didn't require as many because texas just has so many freaking subjects um so didn't require as many subjects and kind of like patrick was saying more transferability um because I, I really you know my three a year i kind of thought uh perhaps i would you know go somewhere else um if i had the opportunity to so okay. um that that was appealing to me i mean i always as someone who took the Texas bar, I, despite however many topics it covered, I thought the worst part was the fact that it was, I mean, two and a half days, but really like three days and three nights of just like going to sleep before the exam. So any way to do a two day exam to me would have been 
miles better of an experience. Um, right. Well, so you you mentioned those plans have changed. Um, you haven't taken the bar yet. What are your what is the current track you're on for taking the bar and which bar? Um, so when New Mexico uh, decided to move their exam to um, September and they didn't really give us a date, they thought maybe beginning or end of September, um, I kind of just decided at that point because um, it seemed like there was going to be quite a bit of um, turbulence around the bar exam. Um, and at that time, I decided to go ahead and switch to the Texas exam. New Mexico was really great to work with and they actually refunded us and we're super, you know, understanding about everything. Um, and so I decided to go ahead and register for the Texas exam. Initially I registered for September. Um, and then after the BLE meeting, the infamous BLE meeting, right. um, where they decided to ahead and um, go ahead with an in-person September exam. Um, as someone who, you know, I spend a lot of time with my parents because they also live in Austin. And I, I just thought it was not a good idea for me to take an in-person exam. And so I opted for the October online administration of the exam. So I'm curious. So I guess you made maybe the opposite decision of what some other people might have made. You were on track to do the UBE and change to Texas. Was on principle, was that like a difficult decision to change from one bar exam to the other? Or did you think that was, I mean, all the other difficult circumstances notwithstanding, was that like an easy part of the decision? Oh, definitely not. It was, I mean, for me, it was just, I, I had no idea what was going to happen in the coming months. And it really just seemed like, you know, after listening in on the New Mexico um, meeting, because they actually had a Zoom meeting that I was able to listen in on. They weren't sure at the time if people were going to have to quarantine for two weeks prior to the exam. And now that is the case. And people who are taking the exam next week have had to be in New Mexico for, I guess, a, around a week and a half now. Um, and I, I, was a, I couldn't handle any more really uncertainty. LOL at me back then. Um, I live in uncertainty. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, I'm going to make a decision and it's going to be final and I'm going to feel great. Ha ha ha. Um, but that was kind of what my decision came down to was hoping to kind of have an, an answer. So it, it, it's fair. And, you know, I don't think I don't think you should, uh, you know, kind of beat yourself up about it. I think it, it made perfect sense to sort of ground yourself in the state that you were in and things seemed fine and concrete. Um, and so, you know, talking about that, uh, how certain do you feel about this October exam in particular? Um, not at all. Okay. And why not? I have a lot of concerns. I mean, you know, it's, it's all over Twitter and I think, you know, it's, it's getting a little more attention now, but I think the biggest thing is just, it, we've, we've seen it fail so many times. We've, we saw it fail in Michigan. We saw it, you know, we've seen, we saw them try to do it in Florida. Um, and now that Texas has switched from, the last uh, was ILG, I think. Um, they've now switched to um, ExamSoft, and yes. that's the the, uh, the company that's under investigation by the FBI for a cyber attack for the Michigan exam. And that was for an exam of roughly, you know, eight hundred to nine hundred participants. And now they're talking about doing it for, I think, 
well in excess of that as far as number of states. And those states include New York, California, and Texas and Florida, which are some of the biggest jurisdictions. Um, so we have a lot of concern as to whether or not it's going to be successful. Um, and it, it's pretty, I will say, that it, it weighs on me a lot personally. As I, and I'm not alone in this, in that studying for an exam that you're very concerned is going to fail while you're taking it. Yes. Um, I think adds an additional level of difficulty to what is already a really stressful time for a lot of law school graduates. Right. Yeah. And I, I feel like what you said earlier, as far as just wanting certainty, I mean, I think the, the almost perpetual state of limbo in this situation is especially painful and people try and avoid limbo however they can um, just in general. And people talk about lawyers as being a very risk averse kind of population. Um, to me that that kind of element of limbo during this studying of the bar exam just feels like the hardest element. Um, in addition to like everything else of like the, the actual health concerns, the concerns of like technology failing and everything. Um, it, does it's a dilemma um do you so there's definitely a lot to unpack i think in the last couple months as far as different things that have happened you you've suggested like i guess i'll grab onto this as an anchor you alluded to an infamous ble meeting um mm -hmm. that happened can you i guess tell us more about that meeting when was it and anything of significance that happened um, so there have been, okay, at least three BLE meetings that I personally have at least listened to part of. Uh, the first one was in, I believe, May or June, beginning of June or middle of June. I don't know. In June, actually. I'm sure it's June. At some point in 2020. <laughs> at some point in 2020. Again, I don't even know what month it is anymore. Um, but that was when they made the decision to cancel the July exam. Um, and at the BLE meeting, that was when I think everybody was really pushing for diploma privilege. Um, and while I still think that that is absolutely the most equitable option in a situation like this, um, that was really the meeting that I think made it very clear that like it was definitely not going to happen for Texas. Um, because even, I mean, I, I don't even know how many people spoke um, and gave public comment. Everybody was limited to one minute. Um, and a number of people had technological difficulties while trying to voice their opinion. Um, I mean, deans of law school spoke, people practicing spoke, law students spoke, a number of, um, you know, my fellow graduates from UT spoke, gave really articulate um, statements. And um, the BLE basically acted like none of that happened um, because they'd made up their mind I, I, like obviously made up their mind before the meeting. Um, and it just, I mean, one board member um, rolled her eyes a number of times. Board members laughed when people gave public comments about family members dying. It was really painful, I think, for a lot of us. Um, I think there was very much a attitude from the BLE that a lot of us were whining and asking for a handout um, and I think just kind of a lack of understanding of the reality of the situation for so many of us. Um, and I actually 
lost a job offer in um, April and then subsequently lost another job offer two weeks later. Um, And then lost a third job offer in July. Um, So like going into this meeting and kind of having that, well, you know, the multiple BLE meetings, but especially that first one, um, having the experience I had, um, and part of the reason I had lost the job offer was because of the uncertainty around the bar exam. Um, seeing all the uncertainty and kind of having the BLE just kind of blow everybody off basically, um, and not really listen to or consider people's concerns. Um, it was really frustrating. I mean, I think the meeting was like five or six hours long. It was a really freaking long meeting. All on Zoom. A number of people, again, had technological difficulties. Um, and it was very clear that the BLE just very much wanted to do um, an exam uh, come hell or high water. Well, I'd, I'd like to say, you know, I'm very sorry to hear about um, the situation that unfurled at these meetings um, and, and also just the difficulty that you had with, you know, sourcing a job. Um, and I mean, I, honestly, it's, it's very, very uh, rough to, to hear and, and to just to, to try to even put myself in those shoes, you know, as, as a person who graduated in 2019, I honestly cannot imagine how difficult that might be. Um, I, I did want to ask, um, why do you think there is just this dogmatic adherence by the BLE to have a bar exam despite all the, the you know, the technical difficulties and the pleas and the cries from deans and from law graduates and, and just from people who, you know, who, who advocate for uh, diploma privilege? What, what do you think the angle is here? Part of it, I think, is the BLE struggling to preserve their legitimacy. I know that sounds... I don't know, aggressive or curt. Um, but I think they fail, they're failing to acknowledge that it doesn't have to undermine their legitimacy. It could just change the position of the BLE, especially should something like apprenticeship be adopted. You know, their role could be overseeing, you know, that kind of program, helping graduates um, to find placement um, rather than, it's almost like, again, this is going to sound just, blunt um the bar exam is a hazing ritual and everybody kind of has this attitude of like well i did it so you should too and it's like well you didn't have to do it during a global pandemic and you know Mm. economic hardship and all that jazz Mm. um so i I can't fully explain it um but that seems to be the overall attitude of the ble is just that like this is the only way to test competency this is the only way to do this we have to protect the public um, but there's not a lot of explanation on their end as to how the bar exam protects the public or does anything other than, you know, set this kind of standard that they feel like we have to uphold as a profession and that a, an exam, they, they just, I guess they think the, the exam is the only way to do it. Um, and I think that's where a lot of the confusion is on our end because, a lot of people have put forth evidence and, you know, research stating that, you know, something like apprenticeship could actually be a better way to prove competency because it's allowing people to actually prove that they can practice law 
Um, but other than that, I can't really give you a firm answer. I don't know. If they, if they could give us an explanation, I think we would all be, you know, more comfortable with the decisions they've made, but unfortunately they haven't really advanced any solid support for why they so strongly push a bar exam. Um, and I, one of the most frustrating things for me looking at it is I can see how so it, it will disparately impact people, not just based off their, their background or their situations, but also just sort of the, the, the job offer that they currently have lined up, if anything, um, I can, de you can definitely see someone who's set to start at, as a first year in a big law firm, like you can do without a bar license, technically, probably for, <laughs> for a year or two. Um, whereas someone who in many jobs in smaller firms or in public interest where they won't hire you even until, um, you get your bar, bar license, um, it puts a lot of those people who are planning on that in a much more precarious position. Yeah, which... and I, that's, I think, the hardest thing for someone who's not, like, and I know it's it's getting difficult for the big law people, too. Um, but for me and a lot of people who are doing um, public interest or smaller firm work, they can't start. And, I mean, for me, for a long time, with all the uncertainty with the bar exam, I couldn't even apply to jobs because I couldn't be like, hey, hire me, but I don't know when I can start. Um, so it yeah. kind of puts you in a position and kind of, you know, gets you a little behind the eight ball on starting. And I know some of my friends who are doing big law have now had their start dates pushed and that's, you know, putting a different pressure on them. So it's just mm -hmm. kind of different people for different reasons. So I guess to that end, honestly, that you've lost three job offers is very unfortunate, but I guess also, um, kind of remarkable that you were able to get three job offers in a relatively short amount of time. Uh, so congratulations, I guess, on that in a weird way. But right. the, I guess on that note, have you been in kind of balancing bar prep for an exam that may or may not happen? Have you been like rigorously on the job market or how have you sort of balanced those two? Those yeah, two? I've been kind of... A papering the town, as they say, um, with my resume. And, you know, I haven't done, you know, as much of the cover letter writing and, you know, more intensive mm -hmm. research, but, you know, anything that it is basically a resume drop, I submit for um, just because, you know, in the time I have, and I don't want to be, I don't want to get too far behind. Um, but of course, bar prep is my, my primary focus. Yeah. Understandable. Um, and I guess part, part of that, we do want to ask, has it been easy to study for such a long time and study all of these, these issues while also juggling um, just the public health crisis, the state of the bar, um, trying to find a job, et cetera? Um, yeah, I, it's a weird position. I actually had a call with my, my bar prep company and they were like, you guys have it, are so lucky because you have all this time to study. And I'm like, mm -hmm, yeah, except you're not meant to study this long for the bar exam. Um, and it's tough because you kind of start to like feel like things are falling out of your brain, um, you know, because it's meant to kind of be a hard and fast yeah. study, um, yeah. almost like cramming for, for two and a half months. Um, but it, it's kind of tough to keep up your stamina. Um when this prolonged time, and then again, not to mention 
that's been going on. I have had so much internet connectivity issue since, I, I guess since April. Right. Um, I mean, I was losing connection when I had Zoom lectures. Um, and I guess that's another big concern. I, I lost connectivity when I had to have my webcam on for classes. Um, my internet, I live in a very hilly area. So like one good gust of wind and I lose connectivity. Um, wow. But, uh, uh, typically I'm able to get it up and running pretty quickly, but I do have concerns since, you know, with the remote uh, exam administration, they're planning on proctoring through webcams. And I'm like, well, that means mine's going to have to be on for, you know, the entire two days of the exam. Um, and I also, do. Have some how, how does that work? Is somebody on the other side of each webcam or. That, that's the word on the street that they're, they're telling us that somebody's going to be watching us through our webcam, a stranger. I feel like I also read that they're going to be in addition to uploading the exam, they're also uploading like the whole seven hour stream of you on a webcam. Is that true to your knowledge or are you not aware? That is true to my knowledge. Yes. Oh my God. You are also See not that? allowed to get up. Like you, you can't go to the bathroom. You can't leave your computer. Well, let me tell you, but that's not that good physically possible. <laughs> that's the word on the street. Mm, okay. I can't feel any more fortunate for having graduated in 2019. And it, it really pains me that it's, I, I can't imagine like the so close yet so far feeling that, that the class of 2020 is having right now, where it's just this very long period of uncertainty. Yeah. Um, I, I think the uncertainty has been the hardest part of it. Um, and, and I mean, I had friends that took it in person in July in different states. And, you know, part of me wonders if, you know, I should have tried to figure that out. And, you know, the other part of me now seeing people getting ready to take it in September, um, I didn't feel safe doing that, um, right. which is why I didn't. But now I'm so concerned about the October exam, you know, actually going through. And I mean, some states have the opportunity um, because they're not doing, they didn't do, or I guess they're not doing, they still have, it's too late, but, um, doing a September exam, um, because Texas is doing a September exam. I think a lot of states backup plan if October fails is to do like the open book option, like Indiana did where it's almost like an e they email you the prompt and, you know, you can use your materials, um, to answer the questions. Um, but because Texas is already doing an in-person September exam where that's not the case, they don't really have the option because it would be so inequitable to allow some examinees to have access to their materials and have other examinees who can't do the same. Mm. Um, so my concern is like, what's going to happen if, if October falls through the BLE kind of told us that like too bad, so sad. You have to wait until February which would mean I wouldn't get my results until May, which would be, mean a full year between graduation and becoming licensed. And that's like absolutely terrifying to me. Yeah. With, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and of no fault of your own, essentially. Right. You've done right. everything that you could. I think I, I struggle with the fact that, you know, a lot of 2020 graduates and 2020 examinees, um, 
are having to make the decision between, you know, their health, their family's health. And some people don't have the option if they've, you know, some people I graduated with have pregnant spouses, they have, you know, family members at home who are immunocompromised. Um, but basically having to make the decision between their health and their family's health and, you know, taking an in-person exam or an online exam and who knows if the online exam is going to be successful because it's totally untested. So we're basically like lab rats for um, the BLEs of various states because they're so unwilling to have another approach to licensure. Have you mentally been able to get to this point where you're, I know, I know you're studying and preparing, but I mean, you've been very involved, I think, in this. How are you mentally dealing with kind of both of those uncertainties going on at the same time? Um, I mean, I think, you know, I, I have days that are really hard. I have, you know, I have days that I'm like, I don't like, I can't even focus on anything today because I am so freaked out about whether or not this is going to happen. And if, if it does happen, you know, great. Awesome. That's ideal. I mean, not ideal, but it's best case scenario with the cards we've been dealt um, versus like, okay, if it doesn't happen, where does that leave me? And, you know, if I get another job offer, am I going to lose it because of the bar exam getting moved again? Because I mean, employers want people who can start working. And (laughs) if I tell them like, Hey, sorry, I'm not actually going to be able to practice until May. So, um, sorry. Um, I think that that's, it can, it can be really easy to spiral down that direction. Yeah. A lot of times it's, you know, push that down and just try to focus on the task at hand for the day. Um, but it's, it, it is tough and it's hard to balance those feelings and it's hard to balance the frustration that you kind of feel with people who are supposed to be protecting, you know, the future of the practice and not feeling like they really have your best interest at heart. You kind of feel like they are, they're selfish in their pursuit and, not really focusing on what their job is. Um, and so I, I think uh, one positive thing that has flourished out of this is that you've become an advocate for, uh, for diploma privilege in Texas. Um, and so we just wanted you to, you know, as, as best as you can and, and with as much uh, detail as you can, can you just provide us the information about that? How did you decide to pick up this mantle and, um, How's that gone so far? It was really after that first BLE meeting. Um, I think that kind of lit a fire um, under me and, and some other people um, in my class. And we've, we kind of channeled our frustration. Um, I think when the, when the court, you know, released their order saying that, you know, no to diploma privilege and no to apprenticeship and yes to these two administrations of the exam. Um, I think a lot of us were kind of confused because there were more justices in favor of an exam less option, whether that be uh, diploma privilege or apprenticeship. Um, So a lot of us kind of, I think really were spurred into action. Um, And I kind of, stumbled into, I guess, a 
you know, at least a point of contact role. I don't know if I want to go as far as a leadership role. Um, but in trying to you know, hear from the legal community, especially, especially practicing attorneys um, and kind of getting statements from people of, you know, is this something you support? Um, if so, we'd love to hear from you. Because again, I think it's easy for the court and the, the board of legal examiners to see us as, you know, whiny and running a handout. Um, so it really meant a lot for us to get the support of people in the legal community saying like, hey, no, we think this is a good idea because, you know, of the situation of the year, or we just overall think this is a better approach to licensure. Um, and I think it just all overall felt us, ha had us feeling more heard um, right. by our future colleagues. And so really, we just, I think at first decided, you know, we wanted to look into the research of it and see if there was an, even anything to to back this, you know, idea. And then from there, you know, working on drafting uh, what we thought was going to be a petition, it ended up just, you know, us getting more information and kind of informed our comments at the future BLE meetings. Um, and then we did compile statements to send to the court from practicing attorneys. Um, and I, it was something I worked on with the Dean of um, UT Law, Dean Farnsworth, um, to kind of get his input as to what would be well-received, um, what would be seen as, you know, pushy or disrespectful, because that certainly wasn't what we wanted, because I didn't think that would be a good way to get um, our point across. Um, but he was very much behind us on getting letters from practicing attorneys, especially UT alumni, because he felt that, you know, it would be nice for us to feel their support, even if nothing came of it. Um, so when the dean sent their letter, it was nice to be able to have statements from practicing attorneys to say, hey, you know, these people are with us too and with the deans. Um, so that's kind of been my primary role. Okay. I do, there's a, there's a group of us that, you know, continues to to research. And I've, to, I, I've done some interviews with different, you know, like the, the Daily Texan, um, and one with, uh, with Bloomberg about the situation kind of as a whole, um, just kind of, I, I, I kind of became a point person by, by accident. I didn't really mean to be, um, but I do like to talk obviously. So <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. I mean, I'm curious just a little bit, maybe from a more general kind of grassroots organization perspective, um, is the way as an outsider looking at it, it, it just like kind of the way this movement kind of came up to me was very impressive. Like with all the social media I saw about it and it seemed like it involved law students, not just from UT, but from like all over Texas. Um, can, can you talk a little bit more, I guess, about to the extent that you're able, I guess, about like how it was sort of put together or did it just kind of happen um. overnight? Twitter, man, Twitter is the great unifier here. Um, I got messages um, in response to my tweets, in response to, you know, when I made public comments at meetings, people would reach out to me um, in an effort to, you know, how can I help? What can I do? Um, and I mean, we have law student from SMU and University of Houston and one from, I think, like Missouri, um, that have re that's taken the Texas exam, um, that have reached out to me and kind of wanted to help with this because they felt so 
outraged following the BLE's treatment of those who, you know, did muster up the courage to speak at these meetings only to be kind of disrespectfully shot down um, by having no one really listen to their comments. And so I think just people get on Twitter and they, you know, they, they voice their opinions. They, they try to get through to people when they think that's the only way. Um, and through that, we've kind of created a really strong community. If nothing else, you know, to feel like we're not alone <laughs> in our frustration. Right. Um, and I think that I, I don't want to say it happened by accident, um, but it not certainly wasn't something that I planned. I just kind of got on Twitter to be like, hey, what the heck is going on? And other people also felt that way. Yeah. You, just, you, you just kind of stood up and said what people were thinking. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. Oh, that's incredible. Um, no, I'm, I'm glad to hear that, uh, you know, you're, you're advocating for things that need to be done in this particular time. And, uh, you know, there, there's been some, I guess, obstinacy. But, you know, I think whenever people start movements for change, they take time. And so it's it's just about, you know, pushing the ball forward and having people, you know, push after you. And and so, you know, you're you're a pioneer here, whether you like it or not. <laughs> you know, we, we've heard at least two of these before and uh, we have one more. And, uh, you know, we're just we're, we're hoping that things turn out. Honestly, I, I just I don't I don't know what else to say, but um, I'm very glad that you have found, you know, some footing during this time and um, you, you've directed your energy in a very positive manner. Um, and we just hope that, you know, things turn out The 2020 is a rough year, but hopefully 2021 has more in store. I, I sure hope so. That's what's keeping me going. <laughs> You got to keep hope alive, Michaela. You got to keep hope alive. Uh, yeah, and we're holding out for that fourth job offer, Michaela, and I think it'll be the one. Thank you. Um, all right. Well, thank you for taking the time, Michaela. I know it can't be easy on the eve of the bar exam um, and one that hopefully we can get it over with and it'll happen um, without a hitch. <laughs> Um, but we really appreciate you taking the time to talk through these difficult topics and giving us a little more insight on it and best of luck going forward. Thank you again and take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Highlights podcast brought to you by the Houston Young Lawyers Association. To reach us, please email us at highlightspodcast at gmail.com. We hope to hear from you if you have any comments or questions about this episode or thoughts on a future one. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a great rest of your day.